Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Just stand to your feet if you're not already. Let's get into the Word of God. How many is ready for the Word of the Lord today? Amen. We're going to talk about the blessing of order. Everybody say order. Sometimes we wonder why some people seem to be blessed and others not. When on the surface it looks like they're doing the same things. You ever think about that? And uh, there's one word that answers that, and that's order. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, excuse me, your prayer and I have seen your tears. And surely I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Can you say amen to God's word? You know, a lot of times people read this, and they read it, and they get a whole different meaning out of it than what it actually says. And what it doesn't say is God says his house is out of order and therefore I'm going to kill you, right? You hear this talked about like people that's got a death sentence. Okay, set your house in order because you're about to die. Now, the thing about this story is it reveals something about the heart of God. In a moment, we're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to look at another passage, and it's talking about really the same thing. And it seems like most of my ministry is spent trying to get us to see God, not from a religious perspective, but as the Word of God actually portrays God to be. Amen? And Father, we do thank you that you are a God of amazing grace. Father, we just felt your presence so strong even on that song today as we just worshiped you and declared your grace that appeared to all of us. Father, we pray today that that same power that same grace wherein we were saved, we would realize that that's been deposited in us to walk every day in our lives. We ask it, decree it, and declare it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody says, look at somebody and tell them they're looking good this morning. I won't, I won't visually demonstrate this, uh, up front because I think it's so entrenched in our thoughts we can all kind of just see this but I want you to kind of picture something with me it seemed like they did that a lot when I was a boy in school but sometimes people you know uh, somebody would want to be mean to you hurt you some some kid would get your arm bend it behind your back remember that and Jack got arm up behind your back and what do you automatically do besides say ouch or oi or Whatever. Sometimes they would say this, say uncle. Remember that? I know that's kind of old, old school there. And, uh, but, and then you would immediately do this as a response to that. You would stand on your tippy toes, right? 
what are you trying to do? You're trying to, re- you're trying to lessen the pain by getting up higher because they're pushing up on your arm. Now, why does that hurt you? I know this is real simple, but you've got to get this. Why does that hurt you? Because your arm's not made, designed to be pushed behind your back and jacked up behind your back. And what it causes is pain. The reason it's causing pain is because your arm is out of order. You're you're doing something with your arm that it's not supposed to be doing. And you know what it does? It causes you to say things like uncle that you never would say. It causes you to act differently than you would ever act. It causes you to change your posture the way you presenting yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you're doing all that in response to pain. This is what people do every day of their lives. And and so what's the remedy for that? In other words, you can have your arms jacked up behind your back. You can be in pain, standing on your tippy toes, and we can prescribe morphine for you for the pain. And, And if we get enough morphine in you, that'll make you not hurt. But it's not the problem that you need morphine, is it? The problem is you need your arm put back where it belongs to go, and that's in the front of your body, not behind your back. In other words, you need order restored back to that arm because the reason there's pain is because you're out of order. Listen to me, and this is not a condemning thing. It's just to wake up, hey, think about it for a second. If there's pain going on in your life, it, that's, a, that's a sign that something's out of order. If you're having financial pains, if you're having emotional pains, if you're having pains in your life, it's a declaration to you that something's out of order. And, and, but the, the, the natural response for, for most people in this culture is to take something for the pain instead of ever addressing the problem. Just medicate me. Just let me keep doing what I'm doing. But just ease the pain. That's not, that's not the answer. The answer is to restore order. Now, some people don't understand why the blessings are different between one and another. So you got two soda machines, okay? You with me? This is not hard stuff today. It's real simple. But you put up a sign on one of them that says out of order. Guess what people's not going to do? They're not going to put any money in that. They're not going to invest in it because it's out of order. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about people. It, when, you know, when something is out of order then people are not going to invest in it. Sometimes it's like those vending machines with the glass front, and you can see the goodies on the inside. And you don't know it's out of order, and you put your money into it, expecting the, you know, the box of cookies or whatever to fall to the, to the bottom, and you, you, know, you get what you want. It doesn't happen. Don't, don't that bless you? How many of you start beating on the machine and trying to rock it? or what? But you've put your money in it. You made an investment in it. You can see the blessing but you just can't get it. It's it's such a shame to be that close and can't actually encounter what you want. And and you can apply that in any area of your life. But if, if if there's an area in our lives where that pain is going on, if there's if there's a if if it's painful in your marriage, there's a, there's an area I promise you in that marriage that's out of order. See, God is a God of order. In Genesis, the very first entrance we see of God is He's looking at a world that is chaotic and dark and void and empty and without order. And the first thing God does is He speaks order to that disorder. 
The Bible says the Holy Spirit was brooding over that chaos, one translation says. And what, what's God waiting? He's waiting on us to speak a word in agreement with what he desires for us. See, it's always the same thing. Religion paints a whole different picture. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a total different view. In other words, re religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. The kingdom of God is God becoming a man and reaching out to us. Religion it always lives their life. And, and Christians, even though they're really truly born again, but they live with this perspective. So uh, a religious perspective is that a believer lives with an with a earth towards heaven perspective. That's how their prayers are affected. That's how every decision they make, they live with an earth towards heaven. But the kingdom of God, you don't live that way. You live with a heaven towards earth perspective. It's totally different. In other words, you are seated in heavenly places, so you behold everything through that lens. It's, it's a totally different way of living. In other words, the, the religious view is they're trying to get the earth to heaven. But God's view is I'm trying to bring heaven to earth, on earth like it is in heaven. But see, it's a totally, totally different way. And if you live your life based off of that scenario, that, that, that mentality, that paradigm, it's going to affect everything that you do. It's going to affect your view of God. You're always trying to reach up. You're always trying to get God to answer. You know, and, and, and I'm going to, you know, this is some, I know some people like this song and they sing it in their church, you know, but the prayers go up and the blessing come down. That ain't how the blessings come down. <laughs> blessings what come down first. Some, you know, and that, if you have that perspective, this is what you think. You want to return to your first love because you think your first love is you loving God. And the Bible says the total opposite of that. The Bible says, 1 John says, we love him because what? He first. Don't leave out the word first. We love him because he first loved us. That tells me I'm not even capable of loving God until I first receive his love for me. But if you think your first love is you loving God and you can lose it and it comes and goes, that's a miserable way to live because your first love is God so loved the world. God loved you first. All you're doing is responding to what he's done. That's grace. That's what grace does. It's responding to what God has done. Now, you've got to realize in this story I read you about Hezekiah, this is an Old Testament under the law, under the Old Covenant scenario that's going on here. But we've got a man that is sick, the Bible says, and he is near death. And, and the word of the Lord comes through the prophet and says, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, I think it's enough for God to say you shall die, but in case you don't understand what that means, and not live. How would you like a doctor walk into your room and tell you that, or your family member that? You shall die, and in case you're too dumb to know what that means, and not live. That's what dying means. It's a double enunciation of the same thing. You shall die and not live. Now, who's saying that to him? It's not the devil. It says, thus says the Lord. What it does not say, that how I heard it always preached, is that God's, you know, like, he must have done something. You know, in other words, God's angry with him, and so God's put a death sentence on him. Listen, if God wanted to kill you, you'd never see the bullet coming. The, what, the reason God is sending him this word by a prophet 
is because God loves him and he's telling him this, the cause of your problem is you're out of order. And if you stay out of order, this thing's going to die. Listen to you, some people's marriage die because it's so out of order, it just dies. Huh? You, God has designed us to live in his peace and in his presence. Stress don't work good with us. God's kingdom is a kingdom of, of which there's no end to his peace. His name, Isaiah 9 says, shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of what? Peace. And to the rulership of his kingdom and to expanse of that kingdom, there's no end to it. God's never gone through a recession in any way. And the Bible says when, the, when, the, when, when Hezekiah heard this, this from the prophet, he turned his face to, toward the wall. I think that just says get your mind off everything. That might actually mean you might have to turn the TV off. You might have to get off of Facebook. You might have to focus on what God wants you to focus on. Where you don't see anything else but the wall. You're not not listening to folks' opinions that don't know what they're talking about in the first place. And you're totally focused on, God, what is your order? The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered. Now, just because somebody orders it doesn't mean you're going to walk in it. And and we want to walk in harmony with what God wants for us in our life. That's going to eliminate all that other pain and all that stuff because you get your arm back where it's placed, you know, in front where it's supposed to go. You're not having to talk weird and say uncle to people you don't want to say uncle to. Well, if I had time, I could just take that and preach. You don't want to be saying things, calling people. You don't want to be doing that because it's it's not something you want to do. The the pain is causing you to, to talk like that. The pain is causing you to stand on your tippy toes. That's not the normal way to stand. That there's causing problems if you do it long enough. So the pain is causing, but what God's wanting, he, he don't want you to be in the pain and have the hurt. He wants you to bring things back in agreement with his order for your life. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed. Now his prayer is really not a good prayer if you really read it. Because his prayer starts with I. Remember now, O oh Lord, I pray how I have walked. That is not the way you want to pray. In other words, he draws the attention on him, and based on my performance, based on what I've done, you know, help a brother out. That's what he's doing. And I think the thing that touched God more than anything else is Hezekiah wept bitterly. God loves his kids. No matter, he loves his kids. And before the prophet had even got out of the middle of the courtyard, leaving where... Hezekiah was, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, return back. And God says to tell him this, I've heard his prayer and I've seen his tears. And I'm going to give you 15 years. Five is the number of grace. God said, I'm going to just triple grace. I'm just going to pour grace all over you, son. I'm going I'm to give you 15 years. I'm going to add that to your life. Now, what you've got to see is a lot of times, we, we, we miss the message when we read things like this. I guarantee you most in this room have heard that story like he messed up, he did something, here God comes and tells him I'm going to kill you. God, God's not behind his death. His disorder is behind his death. And God brings what? Healing to him. 
God brings restoration to him. God brings recovery to him because God didn't morph into a grace God in the New Testament. God's always been the God of grace. Now I want you to give you another example in the New Testament with a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. This is a parable that a lot of you've heard and it's about what we've been you know, known as the persistent uh, widow. And, uh, and I just want to read it to you. I want you to see it in, in Scripture. Luke 18 and verse 1, this is Jesus going to give this parable. And he spoke this to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So the first thing that Jesus starts talking about in this parable is the judge, right? Not the widow. And then he says, now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my, from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And, and, sh and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So this is, all right, so you get this parable. Now this is how it was preached to me as a young boy in church. This is how most folks in American church preaches this parable. They make the story totally opposite of what Jesus intended the parable to teach us. Who, who did they make the hero in the story? The widow. They make the widow. And what's taught to you is that you need just to persevere in prayer. Ask and ask and ask and ask. And if you ask in prayer and God don't give it to you, then just ask again. And just keep. And here's how they say it. You need to just bombard the gates of heaven and give God no rest. How many ever heard that? Foolishness is absolute foolishness. Bombard heaven. Just don't give him no rest. Just pray day and night without ceasing. In other words, we think that if we, keep, if we do like the widow, and everybody in our culture loves and cheers for the underdog. But the, the, this can't be the story because you don't need no faith at all to do what the widow did. All you need is perseverance and persistence. You don't even need God. You don't need the Bible. You don't need faith. You don't need anything but just stick to it. And in and, and American culture, we love that. We, well, she didn't give up. She didn't give up. She just hung in there, and she kept on praying and kept on knocking and kept on beating and kept on. And, 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 the, and, and so after a while, God just says, i got to just answer their prayer because I'm sick of them praying. <laughs> I'll take a drink on that one. And so the, less, the lesson that most Christians take away from this story is that you just need to be persistent, bombard the gates of heaven, cry out to God day and night until you get what you ask for. And they completely miss the point of the story. And they end up, listen to me, they end up mixing works with faith. They mix in human sweat with faith. And, and that doesn't mix well at all. L listen what prayer, what, what do you think prayer is anyway? 
Now, now prayer, yeah, prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is just simply talking with God, and you can talk to God about anything, anytime you want to. And listen, if, you, if you're facing a problem and it won't go away, by all means, talk to your loving Father about it. Talk to him about it, and, 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 and ask God for what you want. And listen, and if you've prayed for a breakthrough in a certain area and it hadn't happened yet, then it's perfectly fine to pray again because there's no limit on prayer, okay? But if you've prayed one time and, and, and your faith is in that prayer that you prayed and the God that heard it, then it's fine for you to pray that one time and never pray about it again and stand in that faith that you prayed and know that your prayer was heard. And, and you don't have to make rules with this stuff. But, but what is not fine is for you or me to subscribe to some type of method of prayer that suggests that God rewards our praying effort. In other words, that God answers our prayer based on my prayer effort on how many hours I spend in prayer or how much time I spend or if I mix fasting with it now that he's more apt to answer it as he would have not been if I had not put fasting with it. That's all called human sweat and human effort and it really blasphemes the nature and the character of our God. Because that's not the point of the parable, but yet that's how most of the time it's been taught and that is what has this poison has infused us. That's why we get into this, and I know some don't like it. I don't care. That's why you get into prayer chains. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer chain, so don't send me no email. I'm not saying prayer chains are bad. I'm saying for you to petition God based on the number of petitioners is demonic. If you think that God is more apt to hear the prayers of 100 people praying, for a specific need over the prayers of one person praying for that need, then you have a wrong view, a distorted view of your heavenly father. God is not some politician in Washington that needs you to get up, you know, uh, what you call it when they sign a bunch of stuff? Petition, thank you. A petition. God is not a God that needs a petition. He's not a God that needs a thousand people. And I see it all the time on Facebook in a lot of places where uh, something very horrible and urgent and a crisis and all that. And there's nothing wrong with asking people to join you in prayer for that. But if you're asking them to join you in prayer because you don't think that your prayer goes through, we need to ask this people to pray. They can get a prayer. Prayer through what? Un your cloud of unbelief. We're not trying to be on the earth. Again, that's an earth torch heaven perspective. I'm not on earth trying to shoot an arrow through the sky and send my prayer petition way up yonder in the eons to God. I thought you said God lives in your heart. So all I'm trying to get a prayer through is from here to here. I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to God in heaven. God don't live in heaven. God lives in me and I live in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If any man be in Christ, I mean, you got to lose that mentality. But if you see God as a million miles away and you're having to pray and your prayers have to go through, and, and, and what we base that on is Old Testament stuff. We base it like Daniel praying. And there was a war in the heavenly. Listen, that's Old Covenant stuff, man. That's not how it is nowadays. So don't give me the Daniel and the, wet, you know, 21 days he fought. And all. That's not the way it is now. There ain't no 21-day waiting now. 
It might be 21 days before you see the manifestation of what you prayed for, but your prayers are instantly heard by God as soon as you whisper them out of your mouth. The, the, the New Testament teaches that. James said, we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if you pray something that's not God's will, God doesn't hear that because if God hears it, he answers it. God's not deaf. God doesn't have trouble hearing. We have trouble believing that he heard us. If you want to ask God ten times for the same thing you asked him the first time, that's fine as long as those other nine times are not because you didn't believe he heard you. Then it's you with the issue. It's you with something. Who is it that makes all these long, long prayers or we got to pray all night? I like sleeping too good to pray all night with your all night prayer meetings. I know that makes some folks mad. But I don't have to pray all night. I, I have done it. I thought God heard prayers at 5.30 a.m. more than he does at 5.30 p.m. Because I was suffering to pray at 5.30 a.m. And I'd get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. My wife would tell you. I did this for years. I'd get up. I'd be at the church at 5.30 in the morning praying. And the only way I could stay awake was walk and pray. Because if I ever draped over that altar, <laughs> I don't know how many all-night prayer meetings we'd have over the years I've been in church, and, it, it, and we'd be praying, it'd be quiet, you'd keep, Pastor, keep the, and you'd hear a brother snoring down at the other end of the altar. He done fell asleep. All of that is human flesh trying to impress God by the time of the day that you talk to him. Or the sacrifice that you made. Listen, Jesus has made the sacrifice of all sacrifices for us. And the, 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 the Lord hears your prayers. If they are 5.30 a.m. and that's a good time for you and you're that morning person, glory to God, talk to him at 5.30. But if you can't even breathe at 5.30, wait and talk to him at 5.30 in the afternoon. I mean, whatever. But I want you to know that your God hears your prayers. And there's no difference in that. See how simple this is today? But you'd be surprised at how many people are caught up in all this stuff. And, and they want to do all night prayer meeting because they think that God is somehow, it, it makes him, they, they get a lot of it from the wrong interpretation of this parable. Now, does Jesus hear our prayers, even the short ones? You bet your life he does. And in fact, who, who is it that, 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 that prays these long, repetitive words? I want to tell you who that is. That's a person who does not have a revelation of the nature and the character of their heavenly father. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, uh, do, do not keep on uh, babbling, one translation said, like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. He's not saying don't ask him. But God says prayer, listen to what prayer is not. This is what that verse is telling you. Jesus is saying your prayers and my prayers are not you informing God. You're not informing an uninformed God of your need, of your crisis, of the pain that you're in, the problem that you're facing. You're not telling a God who is unmoved or untouched. We, we, we have a sympathetic high priest, the Bible says. You're not praying to somebody whose heart is not moved towards you. You don't have to do anything. I mean, there, there's not one thing you can do to put yourself in a better position with God. If you're born again, that's as good as it gets. You're in Christ. God put you in Christ so he could treat you like Christ. 
That's why he put you there. So, so you may say, well, you know, Pastor Dale, isn't that exactly the, uh, why the widow in the story got her breakthrough is because she was just relentless and she kept on asking and she never gave up. That, that's why she got her answer from that wicked, lazy, ungodly, heathen king. Don't miss the, 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 the picture of the story is this. Jesus is teaching from a perspective. He's preaching the negative to accentuate the positive. He's showing a paradox. The whole point of the parable is this. Our father, Jesus said, my father, not like that guy. And when you look at the story, go back to those verses. Jesus starts out with the parable and he's talking about there was a certain city a judge. The judge is the thing. It's, it's not about the widow. It's about this, this judge. And he says he doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. And, and, and here comes this widow wanting, wanting justice. And, and, and so this is what verse 6 that the Lord said. Hear what the unjust judge said. Jesus is saying, Jesus is not telling this parable to say this is the way it is when you come and pray to God. Y'all be like the widow because this is the way my father is. You think God is unjust, ungodly, doesn't regard man? No. God, Jesus is saying he's not, my father is not like this uh, whatsoever. He's not like this at all. And, and so that, that's, that's what he's saying. Now listen, look at the paradox. Jesus is, listen, it, it's depending on whether you've got more faith in the power of your human effort or do you have more faith in the power of God? Uh, there's two ways that people, that you can read this story. And, and, and the, the works-oriented flesh way, or the works-oriented preacher preaches it and says, look at the widow. Uh, even though she's weak, she never gave up. Y'all be like her. And you ask God and you don't get it, ask him again. And just keep on asking. And that's where you get all that bombard heaven. You know you've heard that. Don't act like you ain't. Don't give the Lord no rest. Just wear out God. Just wear him out with it. Just keep on asking and asking. Keep on asking, knocking. Keep on knocking, seeking. Just keep on doing that. And after a while, God gets so tired of hearing your mouth, he'll answer your prayer. Isn't that a loving father? Isn't that a loving father? But look, look, look what the grace says. It says, don't look at the widow in the parable, but look at who? Look at God. Look at God. See, the focus of the parable is God. Jesus said, my father is not like this judge. My father, he said, won't he speedily, quickly hear the prayers of his children who cry out to him day or night? And when he says that, that men ought to always pray and not to lose heart, lose heart. If a person has lost heart, they've gotten discouraged. They've gotten discouraged. And, 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 and that's what God is saying, that, that, that don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever think that because of the way that you've lived or, or this or that. that God, I'm not saying God doesn't care, but I'm saying don't ever get discouraged to the point that you don't pray or ask God like you think that God's not going to do it for you because you hadn't been good enough. Listen, none of nobody in here gets their prayers answered based on their goodness. We get our prayers answered based on his goodness and based on what, 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 what he, uh, God has done. And so you got to see that. What do you trust? <clears throat> when you spend time praying, 
What do you trust? I've had people, <clears throat> you know, over the years, even here, get, get a little upset with me <clears throat> because, you know, they felt like I was, wasn't emphasizing long, long prayers enough. <clears throat> it's not about the length of your prayers. I just read you the scripture. It's about <clears throat> who are you putting your trust in? Are you trusting in your 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 fleshly effort? Do you are you are you tr are you trying to pray and impress God by something that you're doing, and you believe that that will put you in a better position to get it answered? I want to tell you that that breaks God's heart. You, when you trust in yourself, let me tell you what's happening: you're setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. And and when you trust in God, you're setting yourself up for a miracle. Listen, if you do all that stuff and it seems that your prayers is answered, you know what it's going to do? It's going to put confidence in that and you go, well, I did all this, this, and I fasted three days and God did this, therefore I'm going to do that again next time. Then you start working, it's a works-oriented relationship that you start building with God. And then you're going to be fine until that derails and it doesn't work like you thought it's supposed to work. And then you're going to be disappointed with God. You're going to start looking at yourself. See, when you look at this parable here, if you look at the widow, then when, you, when something happens, you're going to pray, you start looking at yourself. But when you look at the parable the way Jesus taught it, you're not looking at the widow, you're looking at the Father. And your confidence is in Him. And so what happens when we pray and we don't immediately get it? Well, you, just, you stand on the promise of God's Word. You declare that promise is what you're believing in. You don't have to declare it a hundred times, but just declare that promise. So when you're sick and you need healing in your body, say, by His stripes we were healed. That's your promise. You claim the promise. You confess that promise. You come in agreement with the promise. And you trust God to bring the manifestation of that in your life. And come on, amen. Give God praise. You don't, get, you don't come under no condemnation for that. You see people all the time. I had somebody this week, <clears throat> nobody here in this church, but somebody asked me this week. They, they, they've known me for quite some time. And they said, you know, it seems like in these past years, and, and, and they don't even come to church here, but they said it seemed like in these past years, that you've done so much better because you used to struggle with depression some. And I have struggled with depression off and on, really, my whole life. Uh, and, 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 man, that's a, that's, that's a real deal. I don't know if you've ever rode that ride, but that ain't no fun. And, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, people would tell you to snap out of it. That's one of the most hurtful things that anybody ever told me, snap out of it. Man, I wanted just to deck them. You don't think if I knew how to snap out, I'd done snap? What do you think I'm waiting on? Snap out of it. That's, a, that's some good advice, ain't it? Where's that at in the Bible? Snap out of it. <laughs> it's just not in there. And it's funny as long as you're not depressed. And sometimes I'd feel like I was just really, you know, messed up from the factory. Because <clears throat> sometimes I would be like depressed but really couldn't put my finger exactly on what was the cause of it. Didn't feel like it. A lot of times, though, if you look around, there's reasons. And I'm not going to go into the whole story because I've talked about it before, but I just want to say this to you. And that person was asking in the context of this, it seems like that you really don't have near the bound. I'm not setting myself up for nothing. Now, if you want to be depressed and you want to know where the hole is, and if you need me to lead you there, I can show you where the hole is that you can fall in and have a pity party. I know the way. But listen to me. Grace has changed that so much in my life. It just changed everything in my life. I mean, it seemed like devils used to try to torment me, tormenting dreams. and all. I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem. 
grace changed everything. Because what was fueling and feeding all that mess was wrong beliefs, religious lies, and a way too more powerful devil than, than, than the Bible ascribes to him. And so we won't go through there. It's uh, <clears throat> First Kings chapter 19 is where the story is. But let me just hit the highlights for you. Because th- this ain't in the notes, but I, I just feel like this. You can pray to God about anything you want to talk to him about. And you should pray to God. There ain't a day I don't talk to him. But I don't have to get on my knees and have my hands like this to pray. I've spent a lot of time in my vehicle. I pray to God driving down the road. and just I, I just talk to him all the time. I talk to him all the time. I just, I mean, he's constantly with me. It's rude not to recognize he's there. It's just rude. I mean, if I if I'm driving and almost got an accident, and I was just I was just wonderful at skilled of avoiding accident, I go thank you, Papa, for helping me out back there. Just you know, just I'm just always I just know he's with me. I know he's for me. It's just a great way to live. It's a great way to live. But the prophet uh, Elijah was a great guy, right? I mean, come on. And what we think about Elijah is Mount Carmel prayed fire down. That brother prayed fire down. Prayed fire down. We forget sometimes that after the false prophets of Baal got through doing their deal, and, and it's really comical, really, if you read the story, but you know, they, the whole deal was the God had answered by fire, let that be God. So the Baal prophets, they go out there and they do their whole thing, and, and, and they do this cutting themselves. You ever heard of people cutting themselves? And I'm not mocking, but that's just, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Why hurt yourself? Do you think you can pay for something? Does it ever buy you anything other than pain? No. In other words, they cut themselves trying to get their false God who didn't even exist, Baal, to answer by fire. And no matter how much blood they were spilling, he never answered because he's not real. He doesn't exist, only in the minds of people. So they got through with all that stuff. Elijah really, if you read certain translations, he's really mocking them. He does mock them. He says, like, you know, where's y'all's God at? Maybe he's going to the bathroom to relieve himself. That's what he says. So after they get through, this is what happens. The Bible says the prophet, he dug a ditch all the way around the altar. And, then, and we forget this. And the Bible said he took the wood and he laid it in order. There's that word again. See, sometimes it seems like our prayers are not being answered because we don't have things in order. And God cannot and will not bless your dysfunction because that would only encourage you in more dysfunction. God tells them, there's so many verses in the Bible that talks about it. He says, don't sow your seed in disorder. In other words, plant, you know, don't just mix up the seeds and just plant every, all kinds of stuff. You can't plant, you know, all kind of stuff together. It's got nothing to do with race or anything. God's just, and he says in that verse in the Bible, because the harvest will be defiled. God wants you to have a big harvest. God wants the blessing that he's provided to come to you. But if you sow in confusion, you're going to reap in confusion. 
If you wonder why, well, it looks like you blessed that guy. Well, it, I, I guarantee there's something out of order. Well, I mean, you, you don't ever go into a, uh, a Cracker Barrel and get confused like, oh, my God. Where's the restaurant at? Because when you walk into Cracker Barrel, you know you're going to walk into the gift shop first. I don't care if they got the restaurant on this end or they got it on this end, but you're going into the gift shop. And I don't know how many Cracker Barrels you've ever been in, but they all fix just alike. Right? And you know what you're going to get. That's why you're in there. Because order multiplies itself. Order. Everything's blessed. That's why you got traffic lights. Order is better. I've been to a few countries a couple times where they don't have traffic lights, and it's just, you know, a man for itself. And by the way, all this women's lib stuff. Somebody last week I heard a woman hollering for equal everything. I just so wanted to say, ma'am, so you want, no, where's, okay, you want equal everything? Equal pay, all right, here we go. Equal this, when the Titanic sinking, you sink with the men. Don't be no women, children first. You know who thought of that? A woman thought of that. <laughs> it's women, children first, and then what it is for us, guys, every man for himself. It's weird. Diamonds. Come on, steel jewelers. Diamonds are a girl's best. What's a man's best friend? Dog. <laughs> it's a messed up world, man, for these dudes out here. <laughs> we get diamonds, you get a dog. <laughs> the paradox, the differences. You, you, you got to understand that that prophet put all that stuff in order. Then he prayed, and the fire came. That was a great day. He had to be happy. God answered. God proved before everybody, I'm God. But then he, he gets one word from one woman named Jezebel that says, in 24 hours, set your clock, you'll be a dead man. And the Bible says when Elijah saw that, saw that, not heard it, saw it, he ran for his life. So you go into a, a, a doctor's office and they say you got cancer. As soon as you hear the word cancer, you just see your funeral. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning nor diminishing any of that. But I'm just saying we as humans have the ability to play really tragic futures for ourselves. Because it didn't say when Elijah heard it. It said when he saw that. He, what did he see? He saw his death. He saw Jezebel killing him. He saw everything. And we're, if we're not careful, we will, we will put great confidence in a future that ain't even here yet. In other words, we worry about stuff that ain't even happening. And he ran for his life, and then he goes and gets under a you know, broom, begs to die, begs you know, God to kill him. And, and, and listen, sometimes when you're depressed, let me just say this. There could be a, a, a metabolic reason for it, first off. So it wouldn't hurt you to get checked out. You could have some weird stuff going on in your body. It don't mean the devil's after you, okay? But, but the biggest problem with people's depression is they believe something wrong about God themselves or others. And in Elijah's case, he's the most clearest example of suicidal 
tendency depression that you can see in Scripture. And if he'd, adjust, if he'd only known the truth, he would not have been in depression, not for one moment. But he was in it for days, for weeks. I look back on my own depressions, and it was because I believed God was angry with me. I thought God was disappointed with me. I thought, God, that I didn't do enough for God, that I haven't prayed enough, I hadn't sacrificed enough, I hadn't done enough for God. And, and I would have all these false religious lies pounding in on me, and it would lead to despair and depression. And so I, uh, you look at that story, when God comes to him, he says, sleep, and he puts a cake of, uh, of food and a, and a jar of water at his head, and he tells him to sleep. You know, sometimes the reason you're depressed is because you're just physically worn out. So take a nap. This is what the Bible's telling you. Take a nap, sleep, and eat something good for you. Eat something. And, and symbolically, he can be the water of the word, the bread of life. You can apply it, but get, get God's word in you. There's been times where I've battled things spiritually. I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading. I didn't feel like doing nothing. I mean, breathing was a chore. You understand what I'm saying? And I've got some earbuds, and I put them in, and anybody with a phone now can you can find all the Bible reading you want to happen to you and just put Alexander Scobie reading the Word of God, and I just laid in bed. There have been times I couldn't even sleep. I'm like, you know, devil, you're going to keep me awake. I'm just going to fill my head with the Word of God then. Let's see who hollers uncle the quickest. You know what I'm saying? And just lay in bed and listen to the Word of God. You know, and just listen to the Word of God. Because I, mean, I understand the warfare that goes on sometimes. But a lot of times it's because our mind won't shut off. Your mind won't shut off. We don't have the peace. But I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. And so then God comes back to him again. Why are you in this cave? Why are you in this position? And he says, sleep, and he gives him something else to eat. And the Bible said he went 40 days in the strength of that food. And he comes to him a third time. Listen, when I read that story about God dealing with Elijah in his depression, it makes me want to kiss God right in the mouth. I don't know if you understand that. Man, I love him. He's just like, I'm like, come here, God. <laughs> I mean, you are so good. I mean, all the old covenant views of you are so awesome. You're so kind to that guy. You never beat him up. You didn't tell him to snap out of it. You didn't tell him you were disappointed with him. You didn't tell him he was a bad prophet. He didn't do good. You didn't tell him, look at you. Ain't you ashamed of yourself running from that one woman? He, God never did any of that. God says, I love you. Take a nap. Here's some water to drink and some food to eat. And just go back to sleep, and I'll come back later and check on you. And then God comes back later, and God says, why are you here? And he said, I'm the only one left. I'm this and I'm that. God says, take another nap, son. Here's some more food. And God don't bother him, try to preach to him or nothing. Just rest, son. I'll be back. And then God comes back again. And he says, why are you in this cave? He says, where are you, Elijah? He says, I'm, I'm the only one left. I'm no better than my father's. Who was I to think I could get anything done? I'm not going to be able to break this cycle. Jezebel's always going to be. The devil's always winning. We always losing. I'm always sick. You know, the poor get poor, the rich get rich, and you just go through all that stuff. And when he gets through with all that, God says, listen to me. You're not the only one left. I got 7,000 beside you that never have bowed their knee to Baal not one time. And he's like, I didn't know that. I thought you did what? I thought I was the only one. And God says, I got 7,000 right here in this area beside you. 
You know what that truth did? It brought light and it delivered him instantly of depression. Don't tell me you can't get free of depression. You could be the depressed person in the world. And if that man shows up with that box of roses and that big giant check with a million dollars with your name on it, you know your depression just took a hike. <laughs> I'm like, bye-bye depression, hello check. What did I cash this big boy at? You know what I'm talking about? And you're not depressed no more. Why? Because something metabolically? No, because your belief system changed. You, you changed what you believed about yourself. All I'm trying to say to you, I used to uh, do, do this sometime, and I, I had an occasion the other day with, with some kids to, to show them this. But if I, if I whipped out, and I don't even have my wallet this morning, but if I pulled out a $100 bill, brand new, and I held it up and I said, who wants this? And I've done this. I've done this in this church. And I've actually given it away. I said, who wants this? Every hand, every hand goes up. Hey, I'm preaching right now. Don't be so calling me. Every hand goes up. And, and everybody wants it, even adults. And then I would wad it up into a, and, and I would say, you know, what is this? They say, that's $100. I said, who says it's $100? U.S. Treasury. The government says that's a hundred dollar bill. It's hundred dollars, and, and, and so then I wad it up into a wad, and just tight as I can get it. Boy, some of y'all do your offerings, and just tight as I can. Get it. <laughs> and then I unfold it, and it's all wrinkled up. Man, it looks worse for the wear. And then I hold it back up. It's all wrinkled. Who wants it now? Yeah, we still want it, Pastor. How much is it worth now? It's a hundred dollars. Who says it's a hundred dollars? U.S. Treasury. And then I take water back up, throw it on the ground, stomp on it, and grind it into the carpet with my foot, stand on it. You don't know where this foot been. Pick it up, unfold. Who wants it now? And still, you know, so many hands start dropping off about then. What's it worth now? $100. Who says U.S. Treasury? Then I pick it up again, and then I unfold it and spit on it. Then I fold it up, wad it up, stomp on it again. Pull it. Who wants it now? By half your hands, it go down. Kids, though, they still, yeah. <laughs> What's it worth now? Who says it's worth $100? Now, you know I ain't talking about money. You, you with me? That's you. That money's me and you. God set your value, and it ain't based upon the paper. It ain't based on the composition of the person. It's based on who set the value. Now, it doesn't matter what's happened to you or how many times you've been crushed, stepped on, or spit on. Your value has never changed, not one iota. And it, Amen. It's not changed at all, ever. Never changed. You've never diminished in value. You've never diminished towards God. And, and, and who says you're worth that? God says you're worth that. It don't matter what this world's done to you, who many people have spit on you, stepped on you, it doesn't make any difference. And when they ask who wants her, who wants him, there's all, I guarantee there's always one person out there that's got his hand up, and that's Jesus Christ said, I want them. I want them. It doesn't matter because the value of anything is determined by, listen, rarity and what a person is willing to pay. That's what drives all value in this whole world. Rarity of the item and what the person's willing to pay. 
Take the first one, rarity. Never been another one just like you. Never will be another one just like you. There's been 7 billion to live. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Out of 14 billion humans that's walked this earth, there's never been one just like you. You've got a unique fingerprint. We can trace you down. Your DNA is specific to you. We can trace you down based on that right there. You are unique because God made you that way. So that handles the, the rarity portion of the, of the program. Now the value. What will somebody pay for that? What did God pay for you? Without any guarantee, you would accept it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish. God gave his life. God gave his life for you. God died for you while we were yet sinners. He died. God did not say, I love you, only he demonstrated his love for us by laying his life down for someone he in advance called, that's my friend. Y'all just let me know when I say anything that's good. That's what this God did. And this is not a God that you have to cohorse to petition by numbers, your human sweat to get him to answer your prayers. Get your confidence back in your prayer life. Know who you're talking to. Don't focus on the widow, weak, petitioning, begging. No, no, that ain't the story. The, the, the story is my father's not like this lazy, wicked judge. My father is a daddy. He is God the father, not the Godfather. He don't hurt people, break bones, get people's attention. He loves his kids. And like any good daddy, when a child is in need, they hear the first time they ask it, and they answer that petition. I understand the manifestation sometimes is not as quickly as we desire it to be. There's other factors and other things. I have prayed for a lot of people that I love and know that are lost without God to be born again. And just because I pray don't mean to get saved the next day. But that does not mean that God did not hear my prayer. And that does not mean that things are not working behind the scenes where I cannot see them on behalf of that person. And God's trying to get, it's not like that God's got a special day on his calendar. I'm going to save them, you know, next year. No, no. It's because if they get to the place where they will believe the truth and they will accept that grace that's been provided for them. Can you say amen to that? Do you receive the word today? Would you stand to your feet? Come on, give God praise. Would you do it? You don't, you're not praying to a, an unjust uh, judge. And, and, and I, I want to say this to you. The Bible says this widow was seeking justice. And there's a lot of Christians today, listen to me. You still think that justice is a future event. And I'm not saying there's not going to be more justice displayed at the end of everything, as we say. But Jesus said that that God that he's talking about will speedily bring justice and God is going to move in ways and, and, it, and it don't have justice happened when Jesus died justice happened there's this world is not heaven and there's so many unjust things that are done to us there are people taken advantage of there are people that are lied to there's all kind of things and those things that are done are not just but you and I are talking to a just father and justice is within our reach because he is within our reach and you just trust in him you put your confidence in him it's not in you persevering in your human sweat 
It's in the goodness of his heart. And he loves us. And he's always going to have his hand up. I want him. I want him. Why you want him so bad, Jesus? Because I paid an awful price for him. I paid my life for him. What more could he do than what he's done? Nothing. And when you walk with that confidence that you know he loves you that much, and he did all that for me while I was a sinner, he doesn't change. He hears your prayers. Pray to him. Have conversation with him. Talk to him about anything. But please, please, please get that out of your mind that it's based on your perseverance, your performance, your petitioning him and wearing him out. It's not based on any of that. That should just make you go, Whew. oh, now prayer be fun again. Prayer be fun again. I love prayer. Not the way I used to do it. Oh, it was miserable. It was work. You ever heard, people used to in my church would always say, prayer's work. And it sure was. It was hard work. And I never seemed to get paid for it. Prayer's not work now anymore. No more than me talking to my wife is work. Prayer is just conversation with a person I love and who loves me beyond my ability to describe to you. I love prayer. I love being in prayer. Riding down the road in my truck, just laying in bed or whatever it is, just talking to him. Yes, there's times I devote and I'll go into a bedroom and close the door and I'll lay across that bed and I'll have my Bible and I'll close my eyes and I'll just say, Papa, I just come to talk to you. Spend time with you, hang out with you. Sometimes I won't say much. Sometimes I'll just say, what's on your heart? What, what's on your heart, Daddy? Anything you want to say to me? I'm here. I'm listening. I got my face to the wall. I'm just listening. I'm not, everything's off. No phones, no, nothing to just, and then here my mind goes, well, you need to mow the yards. Well, you need to do this. <laughs> Did you ever do that when you try to, you need to, you know, you just have to just fight all that. Just, no, I ain't finna do that right now. I'm, 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 I'm going to spend I'm going to spend these next 30 minutes with my Heavenly Father just focused on Him here. No distractions. It's amazing how that will make you just rise up in faith. And, hey, God may actually say something to you. God's got all kind of ways to talk to you. All kind of ways to communicate to you. Please talk to Him. Know how much He loves you. I want my leaders to come and home group leaders and elders and we're just here to serve you. We want to pray with you. Man, I, listen to me. I know sometimes you guys are really facing, some, just like I do, tough stuff. People in your family are going through tough times or you or whatever. It, it doesn't matter what the, what the is going on. But if you just want somebody to pray with you, then we're, that's why we're here. The greatest thing that can happen to a person today is they hear the truth of the gospel and they're not born again, and they put their faith in Jesus, and they get born again. I love that. Hey, and if that's you today, please do that. Accept Christ. Be born again. Believe in the goodness of our, of our God. Confess him as your Savior. And God, in that moment, makes you a new creation. But if you just want prayer, if you're going through something, if you want somebody to pray, we believe our God heals people, and we know he does because he's healed us. So we believe in laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We believe in doing that. You know, it's kind of weird on that. Not weird, I guess. I shouldn't have said that. But the prophet tells the Hezekiah, he says, you know, God's heard your prayer. going to give you 15 more years. 
But then he had these boils and stuff on his flesh. And it said they took a fig poultice, the prophet told him to do it, and put on his flesh. And it took him a few days to, to, to be able to recover. The Bible says you'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It don't say you'll lay hands on the sick and they get an instant miracle, although that does happen. But if you just believe in the ability of God's Word to bring recovery to you, because God's Word is health to your navel and is healing to your bones. And if you'll just take, I mean, come on, if a doctor prescribes medicine, you take it. If he tells you to take it three times a day, there you are three times a day swallowing it. You don't even know who touched that. You're putting it in your mouth and swallowing it. Because why? You trust in that doctor that you don't even hardly know. And he might not even love you. But you do, you take the prescription is what I'm saying. But if God's word is a medicine, if God's word is health to my navel and healing to my bones, why won't you take that prescription faithfully? I know a prophet, uh, guy, he's with the Lord. Now, anybody in here besides me heard of Derek Prince? Any of y'all ever heard of him? Derek Prince was sick for like 18 months when he was in the British Army. They could not get him well. He was 18 months, he was bedridden. He said, the Lord spoke to him, and just what I just told you, and God said, my word is health to thy navel and healing to thy bones. Take my word and be healed. And he said, so he said, three times a day I took my prescription. He said, I get up in the morning and I try to eat something, whether I could or not, but I would, take, I would take in some of the word. I would read the word. And then at lunch, he said, I would read the word a few minutes. And then he said, at supper, I would read the word. And he said, I took my prescription of the word of God three times a day. And in less than 30 days, he was totally healed of 18 months of bedridden sickness because of the word of God don't lie. The word of God is health to your navel and healing to your bones. Now, if you don't believe that, then you ain't going to take the prescription. If you don't believe the doctor, you're just going to go, I ain't, I ain't getting that filled. But I'm telling you the word of God, God said, I sent my word and healed them. And you're battling something that's being resistant, just get the word of God in there. Just get the word of God. And just say, Lord, I'm going to take my prescription every day. How long are you going to take it till you get better? Till you recover. And put your confidence in the, in, in the word of God. We, we underestimate the power of God's word. The healing power of it. Just fill yourself with the word. Talk to God. Not out of nothing you're doing, just out of what he's done. So if you want prayer for any reason, I want you to come up here right now. Just step out where you are. Come on, we're waiting on you. Hey, look at all these good-looking people in to pray with y'all. <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. Come pray. Yeah, that's right. Come on. We're waiting on you. And then I'm going to dismiss the church, but we want to be here to pray with you. For any reason, God bless you for coming. Just come on. We want to honor you first. We want you to come. Amen. God bless these are coming. Just come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. All right. Now I'm going to dismiss Grace Point, but I want. If you still want to come, please come, and we're here to pray for you. God bless you guys.